0: Welcome to Creation Talk. My name is Keaton Halley.
1: And I'm Lita Kosner.
0: And today we're going to be discussing quotes from leading evolutionists that point to problems for their own theory. So we'll just discuss a handful of these quotations that come from a book that Lita, you put together. You edited and compiled these quotes. And it's called Evolutionists Say the Oddest Things. So why don't you tell us about the book and that title?
1: Okay, yeah. So... A lot of people criticize creationists because they say that our objections to evolution aren't scientific, and evolutionists say the oddest things is basically a compilation of different evolutionists making all the same criticisms of evolution that we do. The difference is they remain committed evolutionists, but it it just shows that actual evolutionists make these objections as well.
0: yeah, and so it's obviously we're not trying to say that they've denied evolution itself, itself they're still convinced that it's true, but they're kind of experts in their fields who are making testimony against their own interest to support our, our case.
1: Yes, it's like they're a hostile witness.
0: Yeah, and so we largely agree with what, what they're saying here and, and not try to say that these evolutionists are becoming creationists, but they're just making points that are uh, legitimate and so worth considering. Exactly. All right, so so why don't we get into it? If you want to read the, the first quote here from Lynn Margulis, let's go with that.
1: Yeah, well, Lynn Margulis was an an evolutionist, but she believed that evolution, rather than being driven by survival of the fittest, she believed that it was driven by symbiotic relationships.
0: Yeah, she was kind of a maverick, right, in yes. her field. And so she, she's proposed some ideas that are a little bit more on the fringe, but some that have actually won widespread acceptance.
1: Yes, and so she said about evolution, she said, it is totally wrong. It's wrong like infectious medicine was wrong before past year. It's wrong like phrenology was wrong. Every major tenant of it is wrong. And I think this, I think this quote is so... Significant because she's saying that she disagrees with every major tenet of evolution, yet she's an evolutionist.
0: Yeah, at least the mainstream theory. I think what in context she's really critiquing neo Darwinism, which is like the textbook orthodoxy of, of evolution today. It's, exactly, what, it's what most yes. evolutionists believe, and she kind of have, has a different vantage point. Darwin himself talked about how natural selection operates on random variations, and then later on, people realized they learned more about genetics, and they added mutations to the theory. So they said that the random variations that Darwin talked about, those are mutations, so it's ne- natural selection plus mutations. That's the neo-Darwinian theory, and it's one mechanism of evolution, and Margulis basically disagrees with that mechanism.
1: Yes, yes.
0: At least saying that that's the main thing that that drives evolution forward, so...
1: yeah. But the interesting thing is the alternate mechanisms that are suggested are even less are even less plausible than that.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's such a good point because so often evolutionists will say, "Well, well, hang on, you can't appeal to quotes like this because this is just an in-house debate among evolutionists, right? We're not questioning whether evolution happened, just how it happened." But I think we can say in response. If you're questioning the very mechanisms that, that give the theory plausibility, then it's legitimate to question whether it happened at all. If natural selection and mutations don't lead to evolution, then we can agree with, with Margulis in her criticisms there.
1: And I, I think our next quote really elaborates well on it.
0: All right. Well, let's go to that. This one comes from Jerry Coyne, who is from the University of Chicago. He's a staunch atheist. He's written a book called Why Evolution is True. And he uh, writes a blog under the the same title. And he says, in science's pecking order, evolutionary biology lurks somewhere near the bottom, far closer to phrenology than to physics. For evolutionary biology is a historical science laden with histories and ponderables. We evolutionary biologists cannot generate a Cretaceous park to observe exactly what killed the dinosaurs. And unlike harder scientists, we usually cannot resolve issues with a simple experiment, such as adding tube A to tube B, and noting the color of the mixture. So what do you you think of that one?
1: Yeah, well, for one, I think it's interesting because we're often criticized for our distinction between historical and operational science, but this shows that evolutionists use that same distinction.
0: Exactly right. And that, of course, refers to operational science is what most people think of when they hear the word science, that it deals with regular, repeatable, laws of nature, things that we can experiment on and test, check over and over to see if they're true. Things like gravity, electricity, they're repeatable, they're observable. Whereas when you're talking about the past and you use science to test and examine the past, you can't observe it directly. You can't repeat the whole history of the universe in the laboratory. So it's a much weaker system in terms of, you know, can we really know what happened, you know, so long ago? And evolution and creation both appeal to history. So, so Coyne agrees with us that evolution is less authoritative than something like physics. <laughs> Some, yes, you know, yes. Things along those lines.
1: So Mark Kirchner is a biologist at Harvard Medical School, and he said, In fact, over the last 100 years, almost all of biology has proceeded independent of evolution except evolutionary biology itself. Molecular biology, biochemistry, physiology have not taken evolution into account at all. I thought this was really interesting because evolution is often said to be foundational. It's said to be the unifying concept of biology, but it's actually superfluous when you think about practical applications.
0: Yeah, it's it's unnecessary to do like ordinary, you know, medicine and things like that. And so, yeah, you hear that claim so often too, right? About how oh, if if we don't teach evolution in schools, then people aren't going to understand vaccines, you know, uh, to combat viruses or how bacteria become resistant to antibiotics and things like that. But these, of course, are things that creationists agree with. They're consistent with our view of how living things can change and mutate. And that's not evolution in the sense of microbes turning into mankind. That's just variations that are consistent with a creation understanding of biology. So yeah, the molecules to man idea, the grand theory of evolution is irrelevant for like practical biology.
1: And that also has relevance for the idea that people say creationists can't be real scientists, they can't be real biologists, because they reject something that's as foundational to biology as gravity is to physics. Mm. And that's clearly not true, and this quote shows that.
0: I actually even would say that Kirchner, in a sense, doesn't even go as far as I would, because... Evolution, I think, has been a hindrance to, to science and to biology in many ways. Think about the view that many evolutionists have. People like Richard Dawkins have espoused this, that the eye is wired backwards.
1: Yeah. They
0: say that the nerves in our eyes are in front of where the, the, light, the light has to pass through this, this mass of wires, in effect, to get back to the, the, the photoreceptors at the back of our eyeball so we can see. And they say, this is a poor design, and it makes better sense on an evolutionary view because a, a god wouldn't create things with such a bad way of seeing but evolution can only work with what's available it's not it's not teleological not trying to accomplish anything but yeah, exactly. that argument is completely bogus and you know experts in eye anatomy understand that there are good reasons for the eye to be designed the way it is and there are even ways around that problem where like we have fiber optics that transmit the light through the mess of wires so we can see clearly and our eyes work perfectly fine. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and on the same sort of level, you have the faulty idea that non-coding DNA is actually junk DNA that's left over from all the mutations that have happened over millions of years, when we've discovered that this non-coding DNA actually has a host of very important functions.
0: Yeah, definitely. The more we learn about it, the more evolutionists are backpedaling. They used to claim it was all, you know, the vast majority of our genome was junk and We keep learning more and more about it all the time. So, all right, well, let's look at another one here from uh, Paul Davies. Davies is a professor at Arizona State University, and he's written, he's just prolific, an author on physics and cosmology. And he says regarding the origin of life, which, of course, evolutionists believe that non-life spontaneously, you know, created life somehow, naturalistically. But he admits nobody knows how a mixture of lifeless chemicals spontaneously organize themselves into the first living cell. It may have been a straightforward sequence of unexceptional chemical processes or a bizarre accident. The chief bugbear is that we have just one sample of life to study, Earth life. And the mere existence of life on Earth tells us nothing at all about how likely or unlikely it is or whether it has happened elsewhere. So I, I think that illustrates, you know, he admits nobody knows, nobody understands how this happened, and they've put tons of money and research time into investigating this problem, it shows that this view of a spontaneous origin of life, it's really an article of faith for the evolutionists.
1: Yes, and it's one of the hardest things for them to explain, and some evolutionists have gone into some really weird areas to try to explain it, like saying that alien life seeded life on Earth, which of course just moves the problem back to another planet. Where did life begin there? And then if that was seeded, who... You know, you can say it's turtles all the way down. but
0: And that's not a fringe view. People like Francis Crick, one of the two men who co-discovered the structure of DNA, he's said that, you know, life seems so miraculous, you know, it, it can't be explained by natural processes in the time available, even given billions of years here on Earth. So it must have been seeded from outside of Earth somehow. But you're right. it's It's kind of a question begging, pushing the problem just back further.
1: And not only do they not know how life started, they don't know how life got from the last universal common ancestor, or Luca for short, to the whole host of body plans and types of life we see today on Earth. And so Stuart Clark says, any random change to a complex machine such as a living organism is more likely to spoil things than to make it work better. Imagine randomly cutting, then reconnecting a few wires in your video recorder whilst blindfolded. Would you expect it to work better by producing a sharper picture or by rewinding the tape faster? You would succeed only in invalidating the guarantee. Now, you can probably tell that was a few years ago because he talked about rewinding tapes. (laughs) And if there are any people under 30 watching this, ask your parents what a tape is. But... (laughs) basically the the argument is still very valid today there it has if anything it's gotten harder to answer because we know we keep learning more and more about the complexity of life on levels that we couldn't have imagined yeah you know when Stuart Clark first said this but Stuart Clark is saying that mutations are usually harmful but actually the problem for evolution is even worse than that
0: certainly m- many evolutionists would acknowledge that they're mutations are overwhelmingly bad, deleterious, right? But they, they typically would say, that their response to something like Clark's quote here would be, well, yes, but those rare beneficial mutations, natural selection is like a, a filter that can just act on, those. it favors those beneficial ones and so it can pass those on to the next generation and that's how evolution proceeds. But that response is really inadequate because of what something modern creationists Biologists and geneticists have recognized the problem of genetic entropy that we have articles about on our website, creation.com. I know it sounds like a kind of a technical phrase, but the basic idea is that it's acknowledged even by evolutionary biologists that in every generation, we have a hundred new heritable mutations that are present in the offspring that weren't present in the parents. And so every generation becomes more and more mutant over time. And what natural selection could do is get rid of the, the very worst of the, of the bad mutations. Even if there's a handful of good ones in there, natural selection doesn't have enough strength to, to favor just those good ones. The best it can do is get rid of the, you know, say it gets rid of 50% of the population. It's just getting, worse, getting rid of the worst of the lot. But even all the people that are left, they still have vastly more harmful mutations that, that outnumber the beneficial ones. And so progressively, the, the human... Gene pool should be degenerating, going downhill, not adding new functions and new structures and new machines to create new forms of life.
1: Yeah, and one of the major new forms of life evolutionists have to explain is how flying birds supposedly evolved from non-flying creatures that preceded them.
0: The idea that that birds came from dinosaurs, birds evolved from dinosaurs, and um, believe it or not, this is not universally accepted by Evolutionists. There are experts like Alan Fiduccia. He's a paleoornithologist that's an expert on fossil birds from the University of North Carolina. Uh, his view is that birds didn't evolve from dinosaurs. He believes in evolution. He believes birds evolved from a different group of reptiles, not from dinosaurs. So there's sort of these warring evolutionary camps about where birds came from. And the view that they came from dinosaurs says that they came from the theropods. These are dinosaurs with two strong muscular hind legs and short little forelegs, you know, like T-Rex has, but, but a smaller version of, of T-Rex. And so anyway, here's, here's the quote from Fiducia. He says, how do you derive birds from a heavy earthbound bipedal reptile that has a deep body, a heavy balancing tail, and four shortened forelimbs? Biophysically, it's impossible. Point by point, there's no connection.
1: Yeah, I think that's brilliant and we would agree with him 100% where we would disagree is we would also say it's equally implausible for the for <laughs> birds to have evolved from the from the ancestry he would say.
0: Yeah, yeah. There are problems with both views, but yeah, but Feduccia is exposing the problem that The very dinosaurs that birds supposedly came from, they have the precisely backward anatomy, right? They've got all the weight in the rear, like their heavy balancing tail, their muscular hind legs, and these not very powerful arms, whereas birds need the muscles in their chest and their arms, right, for powered flight, essentially.
1: Yes. It's not just the fact that their body plan is almost precisely wrong to turn into birds. Even their organs, like their lungs. Mammals, like you and me and reptiles like dinosaurs have bellows like lungs. You breathe in and you breathe out. And that's very different from the type of lung that birds have. There is no way to have a transitional form between a bellows lung and a bird lung.
0: Yeah. They've got like a flow through lung so their air doesn't have to stagnate and then return back the same way it it came in. It it flows through the lungs unidirectional. And that's Important for, you know, their respiration. and Very good. And there are lots of other problems, too, with the fossils not consistently supporting this idea that, that birds evolved from dinosaurs Yeah. as well. So, Fiducia points to a lot of that evidence.
1: Yeah. And, you know, one thing that we're accused of a lot regarding resources like Evolutionists Say the Oddest Things and some of our articles that use quotes by evolutionists, they say you're quoting them out of context. You're just quote mining, but these people are evolutionists, so the way you're using the quotes is invalid because you're using them against evolution. I like to respond and say, any quote that doesn't include the entire like 400-page book we got this from, any quote is going to be out of the context of what it was part of. Because it's a quote, it's not the entire thing. (laughs) what, What matters is, is it a fair quote? Is it a is it fairly used? Like,
0: yeah, are you are you representing them accurately? And, yes, and, and we are.
1: When I was compiling this book, there are a lot of quotes that are sent in to us as, as a ministry. Like this evolutionist said, "This it'll blow your mind," but when you look at the actual paper, it's actually being taken out of context in an unfair way. Mm-hmm. It's being being made to say one thing when the author was really saying another. And, you know, there might have been important clarification in the context around it. I was very careful in selecting these quotes. I personally went back and looked at the original source. If an original source wasn't available for a quote, I didn't use it. Even if it's something that had a lot of secondary quotes of that, Mm -hmm. I think it's important as Christians that we be truthful in our argumentation. And as an author myself, when people quote me, I want... Them to quote me fairly, and so we we did our very best to quote people fairly in all of our publications. Really, yeah,
0: Yeah, that's a good point, Lita. So, well, we hope this has been helpful to viewers and those listening by audio. If you're interested in learning more about this, of course, people can purchase the book "Evolutionists Say the Oddest Things." It's available from our web store at creation.com, and there's lots more articles online that you can browse through as well. So, the, the point of all this is to affirm the authority of God's word. We believe that Genesis gives us accurate history and evolution contradicts that, but there are lots of scientific problems that even the experts in evolution point out. We thank you all for watching.
1: If you prefer to listen to it in the car in an audio-only format, we have that available too. We would encourage you to check the related articles and resources in the comments and thank you for listening.